Welcome to Casual Temple, episode 19. I'm JC, Merrily's husband. She doesn't have guests lined up this week, so uh, I'll be asking her questions. On the most thrilling topic of all, books. So, uh, what are you currently reading right now? Oh, I'm currently reading a few books. I tend to read uh, a few books at a time, so I'm reading The Book of Abramelin, The Mage by S.L. Mathers. I might have gotten that wrong, but it's uh, that main book that most people have read for um, uh, talking about the uh, knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel. Um, and then another book I'm, I just started reading is The Magic of the Orphic Hymns by Tamara Lucid and Ronnie Pontiac, and it's very cool. I've been listening to Ronnie uh, have quite a few interviews where he talks about the Orphic Hymns, and it's something that I use in uh, my planetary practice, and that I know, uh, JC, when you're also doing planetary practices, you kind of uh, use the Orphic hymns as well as maybe in more of a recorded musical sense. And then a third book, what is it? That book, that book. Oh, and I'm reading the book of Enoch. Uh, I started reading that one. That one's pretty, it's basically like reading the Bible. So it's very dense. Um, but it's interesting. I think it's like an apocryphal text, so it's not part of the main Bible, obviously. And it's translated, so, you know, you have that to work through. But I'm reading that, and then I'm also reading, or actually, I'm meaning to start very, very, probably in the mix of these three books, is um, Mawia Bomani. She has a book called The uh, Conjuring the Calabash. And you actually drew me to her um, because you had seen her give a talk on Llewellyn's 2022, like, online convention that they did and you really liked what she said and I was like looking into her and yeah she has like a really cool approach to she mainly does like hoodoo ancestral work and then working with spirits of the land so she has a lot of uh, really like I don't want I don't want to put words in her mouth but from my observation it looks kind of like an eclectic practice um, with a bunch of different ways of doing things and, and something that's attractive to me because I tend to think my practice is also eclectic so those are the four books I'm mainly reading right now. <laughs> so do you read these simultaneously? Or are you just like reading a page from each a day? Or how are you approaching juggling so much different material? Oh. Well, I've kind of done this since I was a kid where I would read a bunch of books at the same time. And it's not, and then I would read one book and then I would be like, oh, I'm kind of done with that and then, or done with that for now because I, I kind of need to absorb what I just read. But I can also just pick up another book and then start uh, start it up um, where I left off it in it. So I tend to read something for a while and then it's not that I get bored. It's more like, okay, there's a lot here that I need to process. Um, but I also have a lot of books to read <laughs> and I like reading. So I'll just pick up another book. And yeah, it doesn't, I think a lot of people have trouble kind of doing that and that's fine. Cause I'll like literally have like be in different stages of the book and just pick it up and I'll recall what I had read previously. So it's not, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. So I just kind of have the, I call it like the rotating uh, pile of books and then I'll finish them <laughs> when I finish them. Some take longer than others. Um, 
like I'd say Dune I know this isn't part of what we're reading but I read Dune a couple years ago and that thing took me like a year and a half to read (laughs) but because I was like there's a lot to digest in it and you know I had to pause reading it and picking something else up but yeah that's kind of how I tend to read well along those lines the book about that you mentioned about Abramelin the Mage is uh, a Dover publication and those tend to be facsimiles of things from early in the 20th century or from previous centuries you find that a bit challenging to read things that are not in contemporary English um well the one the Avermelon book is a translation by S.L. Mathers so Samuel Mathers it's actually fairly modern reading it and he actually has very modern ideas I think I even pointed out something to you that I thought was pretty funny it was he had a footnote because you know the Abermelon book uh, I think it's supposed to be set oh, I'm trying to you know I'm gonna get this wrong I should know it because I've been reading it but I think the whole like recording of the book of the history of the book of out you know Abermelon um, is somewhere I think in like the 1300s something like that and so he's translating this manuscript um, that was already archaic and Mathers is from the I think mid 18 well, I say 18th century, mid-1800s, um, translating it, but it's it's still pretty modern sound, like reading for the most part, so I, I found it fairly easy to follow. Uh, some folks might have trouble with it, I'm not sure, but there was a portion in it where he had called out, like, um, I think it was something like, oh, um, women shouldn't practice this particular magic of like knowledge and conversation with holy guardian angel because they tend to gossip a lot i think i pointed that section out to you because i thought it was hilarious and then mathers had a footnote and he was like um yeah this is wrong (laughs) it's like this is just ridiculous or whatever he's like that's not true or you know so he's easily kind of you know calling out that it was ridiculous that women women couldn't practice this particular magic because for whatever reason it was you know thought that women couldn't handle it or whatever but it it was pretty funny. So they um he he's not but he's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? So like which is the tendency for a lot of individuals these days to like instead of sifting through things mm-hmm. um they are, you know, take issue with one particular thing and then uh completely dismiss the rest of it. I think cuz you you had said something similar about because you were were reading the books by Dion Fortune, mm-hmm. and you know obviously you know from her time period she has some backwards views mm-hmm. that can. Uh... Yeah, I think uh, for Dion Fortune, I was reading uh, the Mystical Kabbalah, which I've read quite a few books on Kabbalah, and these are like you know modern books. I've not read the Sefer Yetzirah. I haven't read the Zohar yet, but you know that's coming. Um, but sort of people talking about their systems of working with the Kabbalah, but I really liked hers quite a lot. Her mystical Kabbalah, mystical Kabbalah, just her approach to it really resonated with me, but I will say that there was, and it's not like you can read one sentence where she says this. It's more of like, I read quite a, you know, I read the whole book, but I kind of get, oh, she putting together the different pieces of where she mentions things. And basically the sentiment was something like, oh, the Western um, 
like the Western ceremonial approach to magic is the best one um, for spirituality and you know basically the West is amazing and yada 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 <laughs> than the systems that came before and you know maybe it was just like poor wording or whatever but I you know I do think a lot of it you, you have to look at it in context of of who Dion Fortune was like her station in life of being British being of the upper class of coming from wealth you know she's also a woman so there is like that propensity to um you know to put herself in a uh in a certain position but there is uh yeah there was just like certain things where she would basically say something along those lines but i don't know if it was just like bad wording but i was just like i don't know i don't agree with this but you know i understand where you're <laughs> you're the context of who you were and where you came from but it's i'm not going to throw the rest of the book out because it's amazing it's the most highlighted book i own <laughs> and i don't highlight books because um i i don't tend to want to do that but it's something where i, I needed to highlight things so i can refer to them in my own practice so you would say that there's like um you know scrutinizing it there there's precious minerals amidst the dross mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily um, conducive to one's practice just to completely uh, you know judge it is in a moral sense of this is good or bad material based on the the uh, in context uh, views of a person at a particular time yeah i think that's true i mean there's plenty of these particular people like if you you know if, if they had shared sort of their personal opinions or thoughts on either politics or um any sort of subject at the time you know i guarantee you you're going to disagree with it i i disagree with myself from 10 years ago you know what i mean so i you know i i just hope people would understand that yeah, <laughs> there's going to be some stuff, like I said, I that uh, passage in Mathers was really funny to me, that he even called it out, right? And, you know, there's even stuff, like, maybe later on that, you know, I'll find that Mathers says that I'm like, I don't know, buddy. But, um, but yeah, so every generation is going to find something where, oh, we're kind of past this sort of way of thinking, right? And, you know, just kind of move on with it and just take the things from it that you really resonate with. Like even like the Abermellon book, I'm taking my own notes from it, right? I'm reading it and taking a lot of notes because I'm like, okay, this passage here, this thing's interesting. Like even one of the rituals, and I had a lot of magicians have pointed this out in in it, um, <laughs> Abermellon, it, it calls for you using like a young boy of like seven years old as sort of your personal psychic scryer, right? Because children under a certain age can see and sense things more um, readily than adults who maybe haven't developed their psychic powers, right? And then Mathers even calls that out. He's like, no, <laughs> what are you doing? No, we don't do that anymore, you know, because it's, it's weird and creepy and children shouldn't be subjected to these things that, you know, are for the adult's benefit, right? It's not really for the benefit of the child. So yeah, so even in that respect, like there's a lot of things that Mathers was questioning and saying, no, <laughs> you don't have to do this thing. So I think that's, at least for me in my own practice, it's like, yeah, there's things you can look at and, you know, it's not sacrosanct. You can't, you know, you can't say, uh, I don't agree with this. Like, I don't, um, 
or like maybe I, you know, I see it from a different perspective and I might try it a different way. Like in, in this case that I'm describing about the um, using a, a child as your psychic scryer, my opinion is that, um, and I think magicians are, are, are understanding this, is to develop your own psychic abilities and psychic senses, right? And that was, uh, Dion Fortune was very much about doing that. So I think instead of having to have the experience relayed to you either by a psychic child or a seer like Edward Kelly and, um, and uh, John, why am I forgetting his name? <laughs> John D. John D. Edward Kelly and John D. Like, you know, try to develop your own psychic senses. Now maybe, you know, you're not gonna have the, the, the same maybe intense experience like somebody who has that sensitivity but you would understand what your own psychic senses are and then but you can trust that what you're experiencing is true even if it isn't as quote-unquote strong as um, somebody else might be experiencing but I think that is a way that some magicians are going uh, forward with it um, is to develop their own sort of psychic senses and sensitivities um, so they can have these experiences for themselves yeah, it reminds me of that the uh, what is it the uh, Greco-Egyptian magic where they want you to go and find a severed human hand. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you think like something like that could be reinterpreted in the now, like oh, I'm gonna make a a cake in the shape of a hand and use mm -hmm. and utilize that instead of getting the shovels out or whatever. Yeah. It's, something, it's definitely like that. I think it was in the Black Pullet. It was something I had joked about in uh, one of the, the magic discords I was in. I was like, like <laughs> that, that whole thing kind of freaked me out or whatever. You would, you know, take like a dead man's hand or whatever and you would um, incorporate it in your magical spells. But it, yeah, like in your example, you can say, oh, okay, we're basically working with like materia from the earth and that could be a cake in the shape of a hand, right? You don't necessarily have to have a hand right mm -hmm. now i'm sure there would be arguments either way but again it's like okay yeah i guess if you want like a certain type of situation to happen maybe more quickly more intensely i guess use the hand but i mean it's kind of not cool <laughs> just don't do it just use the cake and develop other senses <laughs> or whatever you need from the outcome it's just kind of ridiculous yeah, it seems a bit extreme. Even like in Bronze Age Europe, they're you know like making uh, carvings of body parts, you know, out of wood, mm -hmm. chucking them into sacred rivers, like hands and legs and whatnot, whatever part of your body that ails you. What was the, the thing about the the belt made out of uh, lion pelt? Oh uh, yeah, that's a a, a one. I know there is one, I can't remember which magician, I always confuse two, these two mag magicians that wrote a book, but one of them used like, the, he has a lion's mane pelt belt, and, you know, whatever you think about that, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, he has it, whatever, I don't know, you know, it's his own decision um, to use that, um, but, yeah, you know. I don't know. I feel like there could be, that's why I'm kind of looking at the Abra Mellon book and taking my own notes because I do feel like there's ways to accomplish the same effect if you understand, you, you understand what the goal is, but in the way to get there, right? Like one of the steps in, in the Abra Mellon ritual is um, further down after you, you do a lot of 
um, sort of your own body purification where it's literally taking a shower, right? It's nothing crazy. You're taking a shower, you might like light some incense, you know. Um, but one of it is when you're not doing the particular rituals that are spelled out, um, you read spiritual books. Or it says to read the Bible, right? To read the Gospels, to re- or not the Gospels, but to read the Bible. And so to me, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe that's not my book of spirituality choice, but maybe read books on spirituality like we just we started talking about. Um, just do that, you know, read about like maybe a specific track of spirituality that you're very interested in if you're approaching this ritual that you want to do. Like read a bunch of books on Buddhism or whatever. And, you know, I, I don't think I think these things can be tweaked, especially for the modern age. Um, and I know there's a lot of magicians that have kind of tweaked um, they would probably hate me saying that, but tweaking the Abermelon ritual for the modern age um, because it is a different time, right? We, we, there's different times, there are different uh, things that are acceptable to do, <laughs> there's different, um, there's different uh, pools on our focus and attention. So yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. So it's, it's more the essence of the material via like authenticity of things in its in its original form yeah um how does how does that relate to like the presentation and construction of books because obviously like you you mentioned a book that that dover published the dover books are are really well well bound um for uh for trade paperbacks and they're usually on acid-free paper but there's this tendency in recent decades to to publish things um as finely as possible you know like smithsown with the heavyweight paper and um maybe cold metal letterpress uh uh, fancy bindings that sort of thing do you think like uh, what role does that serve to to uh take that that much care with a with a published work is it is it necessary or you know or um, is it is is it just the material that is is valuable Mm, i think it's well again there's sort of different approaches my approach to it is like you really just want the information but you know there's something about like i bought this particular beautiful book and this beautiful version of this book because I find that the information is of value intrinsic maybe even intrinsic value right like it it exceeds the value of the attention and care that was put into the actual binding um but if you get down to the the bones of it you really just want the information really Mm -hmm. um and I think I told you we had talked about this but it's kind of in a similar vein of like music because we're both music bands and um you know huge you know i'm i really love post punk music i listen to quite a lot of it i have a lot of it that are you know it's digital i have a lot of cds you know you remember those kids but um i do collect like the actual vinyls of the, my favorite bands right like my mm-hmm. favorite favorite bands i will go and like i want the vinyl copy of it and if they've had like a new pressing or a new like remaster or new art i i will buy it <laughs> if it's my favorite bands i'm looking at you the chameleons uk because <laughs> it's probably the one i have the most of um but 
yeah, I think I, I kind of approach it in that way. It's like information first, but if it's your favorite or you find that this is valuable, you might want like a really beautiful copy of it. Mm-hmm. I think we've uh, encountered some things that are worthy of of uh, expensive binding, uh, but are in like a really cheap format. And then, and on the flip side, there are some things that are just just awful, and and uh, mm-hmm. and they're um, tarted up a bit. Um, how do you feel about that? Because we have that. We have one particular book. I, I won't mention the title of it. Uh, it's the most beautifully bound book that I've ever held ever in my life. And uh, I found it in one of those little library book drops mm-hmm. on the, in the neighborhoods. And uh, it's, it's, it, it's the absolute worst book ever in history, though. <laughs> it's probably not what you're thinking of, but... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, Worst book of uh, of uh, of the the topic area of your podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, it but I, I keep it because it's the most <laughs> magnificent book I've ever seen. I'm like I've handled it kind of roughly, and it, it it still looks mint condition. I don't understand how they did this, but um, yeah, it's like there was no point because it, as I said, it's 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 complete garbage, but it's in a beautiful package. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think about that? <laughs> why that Why that happens? I don't know. Like, uh, I think I well, I I feel with this particular. I feel like I want to talk say what this book is, but I won't because you don't want. No, to. no, no, no. But, um, <laughs> but in these particular cases, I feel like you know buyer beware in a lot of cases, and I think it's marketing, right? Like oh, this you know because the marketing marketing would be. Oh, you know, we made this beautiful book, you know, with all the beautiful trappings of something that you want to keep forever because the information inside is something that is powerful or meaningful or whatever it is. Or the story was amazing if it's like a nonfiction book that really resonated with you. You're going to want a beautiful copy of it. But they're tricking you. (laughs) So buyer beware. They're tricking you with like the beautiful wrappings and then you read the thing and you're like, oh my God, this is awful (laughs) like there was one recently like you and I were looking at that we were like I can't believe that this got made it's a beautiful beautiful book but like the interior like it was just terrible writing so you know unfortunately and you know in those cases it's hard because um you want to kind of read it beforehand right and there's a lot and I'll just say this too there's a lot of friction with like downloading books and you know and I and all that stuff um in these communities and on one hand I totally agree like we want the authors to be able to make their money and and this and this and this um but I do think that they real to do right by the readers they really should have like at least a downloadable digital copy that's very very affordable and then, you know, maybe even like pre-released, I don't know, I'm just going down this track, but like pre-released or something, then it builds up hype because you're like, wow, this was amazing. I read it. I thought this stuff inside was amazing. And then, you know, and then they're like, you know, a couple months later, they're like, oh, well, guess what? We're releasing the most beautiful edition with this and this and this on it. And you're like, yes, I want that or whatever. But I feel like there's a lot of push and pull and arguments about downloading books and, um, 
that sort of thing. I just feel like there needs to be a consideration because unfortunately, uh, beautiful books will be made, but then the interior is maybe not <laughs> up to snuff or very useful for, you know, people going forward. So I, you know, I feel like there needs to be a little bit more discussion around sort of um, these things. And the other frustration part is you have people who are like, I just really want the information and I can't find it unless mm-hmm. I pay $400 for, I think oh, Ian was talking about that one book, The Black, no, The Red Dragon. We were talking about it um, in our <laughs> interview, you know, our discussion about the demonic reality. And it was like, oh my gosh, that book is like $500, you know, but, but mm-hmm. he has a copy that he bought when I think it came out or maybe fairly recent after it came out. So more affordable than $500, but, you know, and he said it's an amazing book, but how unfortunate is it that we can't, you know, I, I can't get a digital copy of it or people can't read it first or there can't be, you know, so that now that, that information that's apparently really wonderful is just now like kind of trapped <laughs> in very few hands. Yeah. There, there's a, uh, one particular book that was actually written and published here in Seattle. Um, Probably if you looked hard enough around here with the antiquarians, you might be able to find a copy, but um, it's impossible to get your hands on. But it's readily avail- available um, in, a, in a pirated form. Uh, usually piracy, I know you were talking about the PDFs and stuff like that. Um, it's more of a, of a delivery service problem, like the piracy wouldn't exist. Because uh, people, people, I, I believe people legitimately would like to be able to purchase things, as you said. Um, and, and you can't because, you know, only so many copies were made. And I, I get that, especially these things that are, that are bound in fancy buckram, you know, um, or whatnot. Uh, and it's an expense, but uh, at least it, maybe if they would move more towards pre-orders... Yeah. As opposed to limited, limited and I think editions. some of them do have the pre-order function. But I look, again, I'm going to make the vinyl comparison because um, a lot of Hubbub it was made around, like, digital copies. And, you know, and they're, you know, I <laughs> I don't have necessarily a horse in the race or whatever. So, but, you know, we have seen sort of the rise of vinyl again, right? That's kind of how music stores are able to survive is because vinyl has just had like a humongous comeback. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the highest selling, uh, physical media currently. Yeah. Of, uh, music recordings. Yeah. So like I said, I, you know, I want people, I want, authors and publishers to make money for sure i just you know i mainly i just want the information and i will i'll pay for it (laughs) i'll pay for the information um but you know but do i need it in a 500 dollar you know goat skin gold lemon whatever it was you know i don't think i need it that way and yeah i understand like they made the other copies of they're kind of the standard editions or whatever but even then they run out right there's only however 500 copies made so it's very limited but i understand and like you said i think pre-orders is actually a really good idea and i don't know why uh, you know necessarily i know some of some of the publishers have done sort of pre-orders for like the following edition like i think the way they handle it now is like they have the first edition run of things and they do want those to be more special um and i get that 
but but then they'll and then they'll do like second edition, third edition runs where they'll take pre-orders, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm okay with that. Um, but I think especially with these new books that are coming out, it's like a new authors that you're not familiar with. Like you're really taking a chance, and they want you to like pop fifty bucks on a book, and then you now have this really beautiful book that on one hand you're like I I, I can't let it go because it's so beautiful, but it's so bad. That's <laughs> like, like, just worthless. Um, so now you have, you know, you just created waste in your house and now you have to either throw this book away, which is just a waste and it's just Mm -hmm. kind of sad. Um, you know, I, you, you and I both love books, so it's, it's hard getting rid of them, (laughs) even though at some point you do have to, you know, maybe cull your collection, uh, to some extent, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just makes, I don't know. I just feel like there, there could be different solutions that could happen for books. At at the very least, uh... Um, I appreciate when they they offer different tiers of mm-hmm. of binding. You know, like yeah. you could get like just like a square bound trade as opposed to uh, you know things with boards or 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 beyond that. You know. Like, I, yeah, I think there was like I'm trying to I'm trying to look for it, but I have this book on I think it's either Jin Magic or Arabic Magic. Um, and it's a great book. But they released it in just like a nice soft back paperback, you know. But then, of course, they had the nice, beautiful editions uh, of that book. But I think the paperback, Tremor, I can't remember who the publisher is, but I think the paperback they make kind of perpetually. So it's something that the paperback won't go out of print, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of nice because then you still have, like, you know, you might want to read up about gin magic or Arabic magic, just, you know your own edification and now yeah. you have, you know you're like cool i can get like the paperback and you know look into it or whatever so i think that's a good solution as well yeah i mean we definitely have way more access to publications than we did say back in the 90s mm-hmm. when you couldn't get your hands on anything yeah um you know you read the uh, bibliography of and all these and enticing titles and whatnot and you're just i'm never gonna get my hands on that or ever mm-hmm. but now you can you know like i said it's all there you know whether it's actually in print or uh, you know people dangling uh, pirated material in front of you which is terribly frustrating i think it'd be nice as you said if uh, some of that stuff was available mm-hmm. to purchase yeah i think uh else did i want to cover here i think it kind of got off topic just talking about the physical form of things i think to get to, to go back to that yet again it's just um uh that kind of pertains to everything in in practice really whether it's like you can just is it all in the mind or do you need it in in uh in also in physical form for it to you know mm. <laughs> Is that a question? I don't know. Or Do you think <laughs> maybe both? Okay. Uh, Is that like a, a balance of things? Like it's not complete unless uh, something is either or. Yeah, that's why I brought up the things that that didn't necessarily need a special printing because they're terrible. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but something that's wonderful, it, it, it's almost like it, it's almost there. Cause like even, even when the material is, is perfect, um, 
um, if it's a terrible prison. There's, there's been a number of books that I just I wanted to read, but I didn't because it was they, they chose a, an ugly typeface. <laughs> I, I just couldn't get past it. Mm-hmm. And it, like, sears your eyes. Yeah. Some of those old Dover magic books, they have, like, a terrible typeface. Yeah, I mean, that can't be helped, though, because those are photographs. Um, I, I'm, as you said, it would be an expense for them to to uh, remaster them and print them. I think some people want the look of, you know, the old-fashioned typefaces. and is, is something inaccessible if, if it's... It, in a poor format. So you, you know, you said it's it's about the words themselves or whatever and the ideas, but like if you can't bear to cast your eyes on it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, because there's been some of those. Um, I think even like those Dover books. I think like the Zephyr. Like I, I mentioned, like the Zephyr Yetzera, like I think it is like a Dover publication, but it's hard. Like the font is like kind of bubbly mm-hmm. looking, and it's sort of hard to, like, like it's hard to read <laughs> because it's so weird looking. There is a way to to um, uh, remaster and. Um, a uh, facsimile by laying digital typefaces or fonts on top of them but no one's really tried that yet i think that would go a long way of like satisfying the desire to have something that looks archaic but is a little more legible yeah i think they do a good job that's why i kind of like the kindle books because they are things on kindle i tend to get a lot of books on kindle too because then it's just you know it's all the same type of font yeah i think you can load your own too if you yeah. so it's pretty nice okay let's see i'd like to get back to you uh mentioning that you're juggling several books at once mm-hmm. um do you tend to choose things that are uh, related in some fashion or are you just is it always just a random hodgepodge of things it's kind of random but it's it depends on the like right now i read a lot of like spiritually based books i guess so it's just like i'm going through like i just i'm reading a bunch of spiritual books um, do you ever notice any synchronicity of disparate material where they at first flush it doesn't appear that they have anything to in common, but uh, you notice a through line to what you're currently reading. Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to. Th- I was trying to think like what would that be. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say, but yeah, I have. I can't point at certain examples, but it is definitely the case. Like I'm like, oh, this is kind of odd that this is something that was mentioned over here oh actually i do have an example so like todd wilcox again he was a guest on the show and his book is like slipstream shaman and i had mentioned i had asked him if he had read um soltrum elione's book on feeding your demons because there is like a thing that he uses in his practice where he talks about how um 
he talks about how something that was helpful, like say a helpful spirit or a helpful entity, um, is no longer helpful. It's kind of actually hindering you uh, for whatever the reasons are. Like it's now kind of not bad. It's just like hindering your practice. And so in Soldier Malione, she kind of looks at it as like demons are. She doesn't even talk about them being previously helpful, but like demons can be like an energy that um, you know you can personify and work with and kind of get to the bottom of like why it's still kind of hanging around <laughs> and what it actually needs from you so it can actually transform into and transmute into something new. And so I was, you know, uh, kind of uh, drawing very similar parallels to kind of what Todd was describing, even though he's like, you know, kind of doing it from his freeform fashion. Yeah. So maybe like the mischievous behavior is more out of uh, neglect and boredom and interaction as opposed to malevolence. You know, it's like something like, notice me. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially a soul term like the book Feeding Your Demons. It's like the things that are the quote unquote demons in your life or the things that are causing you issues or the things that you're not paying attention to so in like your example it's like a, a child that wants attention right you're not giving these things attention for whatever the reasons are you have your reasons or whatever but now it's like either causing you some sort of mental you know malady an emotional you know issue or maybe you know physical issue like or even just like patterns that keep repeating in your life like one pattern would be like you keep stepping into the same type of destructive relationship right with somebody and it's like why do I keep doing this and it's like there's like something that is trying to get your attention like this needs to change <laughs> it wants to be something new um you're not like letting it talk to you and letting yeah um back to the topic of books there's a uh, a lot of accounts of people uh, being near bookshelves or in a library or bookstore or whatnot and books flying off the shelves and smacking them in the head mm -hmm. as if they like want to be read. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I kind of have like a weird, like I was telling somebody in one of the uh, magic discords I was in, I was like, I feel like just even having these books, like you don't even need to necessarily read them in your house. Like having them in your house is an energy, right? It is like putting that energy in your house. I know people will be like, you got to read the books to like, yeah, I do think, you know, on some level, if you want like a conscious uh, understanding of the book, but I do think there's some sort of subconscious thing of like having that book in your house, like, you know, some sort of energy it's giving off. So now in the example of like it jumping off a shelf, um, I do think, books have their energy they have their life or whatever and, and i do think the spirit world or you know whatever you want to call that <laughs> is trying to get your literally get your attention and um even if you're you know and a lot of people do uh, the bibliomancy right so if a book does fall off a shelf like that they'll open it up and then like close you know close their eye and like open up a page and point their finger at it and then most of the time people are like wow that was really the passage I just read was really relevant to what's going on with me and gave me a, some new insight. So it's just another way of like it communicating with you. It being the spirit world or your guides or whatever you want to think is going on there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the past year I kept fine. We, we have Aiden Walker's books right yeah. over there and they're together. And I kept finding them on the floor. I was like wondering what is, why do they, I keep having to pick these up. They're like, completely knocked off the shelf it turns out one of our cats was constantly climbing behind that particular segment of the bookshelf and was 
always, always stepping on Aiden Walker's books and pushing them backward as he was going behind. She wants us to read them. I caught her in the act <laughs> uh, doing it. So I'm like... I think you already read them, though, right? And I, I haven't looked at it yet, but uh, you know how it is. There's a million things you haven't been able to read yet. Right. In terms of... Uh, I think that's why I, was, I wanted to talk about the uh, the physical form factor of books because even when something say uh it's firing on all cylinders like the 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 material is awesome um the construction of the book is is gorgeous but then you might have a might uh have some trepidation about actually reading it because you're like i don't want to get my sweaty hands all over it and Mm -hmm. you know treating it uh with kid gloves like way too preciously (laughs) That might be the downside of uh, these expensive books. It's, it's similar to how people who collect comic books treat them. Yeah. Instead of actually utilizing them the way they're meant, what they're meant for is, you know, to be read. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay, too, if you just want to keep it as, like, a beauty piece or, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, ultimately, usually it has, like, an intrinsic thing. Like, we ha- we collect, we have a lot of, like, I don't want to say action figures. We have a lot of dolls and action figures and things like that. But, but because we don't play with them, but they are like in a case, you know, mm-hmm. like protected or, you know, and it doesn't mean that at one point we didn't either, you know, as children, you know, we play with them or it's like a, like a, like a action figure of a rock star. Like we have a Peter Murphy, like action figure thing, that you know, um, but it's more like, oh, this person or this thing is very important to us. We want to like memorial memorialize it in in like this particular form. So it's okay that it's like that. So in the same thing with like a book, if like, I but I feel like why have it if it's just beautiful? And you're not and you don't necessarily resonate with the content is strange to me. Mm-hmm. That um, that is uh, that it's its own thing. There's our cat like clawing that thing. Um. Yeah, cats definitely have uh, uh, zero respect for books, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Our cats do, for sure. They them all the time. So. Chew the corners, <laughs> knock them off the shelf, lay on them, yep. crumple them, <laughs> smash them. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what they do. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with having a particular reverence for books. Obviously, you recently visited Ireland, and they have, like, the Book of Kells and a... And a Mm-hmm. Uh, climate controlled. Yes, it's in a dark room, in a bo- in a glass box with one light on it. <laughs> it's cool because it's like, oh, this is very important. It's very, you know, there's a lot of reverence around it, and I'm like, that's cool, you know. Do they? Is it always open to the same page, or is it periodically? I mean, I'm guessing turned it's, to. <laughs> I'm guessing it's open to the same particular page. Mm-hmm. It's probably the one they find is the most beautiful or. Beautiful one. I forgot to check to see if it's been photographed and, and uh, uploaded because um, in recent years a lot of museums have uh, photographed their collections and have made them available open source. So that's it's worth looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a resource that they d- didn't really have until just very recently. Uh, also. Um, uh, in 2020, during the the so-called lockdowns or whatever, um, 
the JSTOR opened up access to articles. I don't know if that's still going on. Though. I mean, it should be open to people because our, you know, we paid for a lot of that research, but mm -hmm. um, that's another free resource where you can you can uh, look at academic papers and whatnot. Yeah. I think there's actually one, I think it's on JSTOR that somebody had shared recently about um, experiences of, uh, of light hallucinations and meditation. And then that, that was really cool. Cause like, you know, I do a lot of meditation and definitely experience a lot of like lights happening and light activity. So um, yeah, there, I think it was on a JSTOR uh, article on that. Yeah, a lot of that material was um, heretofore behind a paywall. So, mm -hmm. trying to think, what else I want to talk about? I think I've gone off on too many tangents. Um, what's something that you have on the shelf that you really, really want to get to, but you just haven't found the time to? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I'm like looking over here. Um, the Book of the Black Cube is the one about uh, Saturn. It really, really, or is it, oh, sorry, The Cult of the Black Cube is about, like, uh, Saturnian uh, cults, I think. Uh, I really, really want to read that. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I need to read that. And then I have, um, like, oh, there's one on, oh, The Celestial celestial Intelligences. I'm going to read that, too. <laughs> there's so many. I'm going to read those. Oh, it's terrible. And then the, I, I have started like looking through the, I think it's David Alter, the, the, he translated the Hebrew Bible that you had made me aware of and we bought a copy of it. Um, it's beautifully, beautifully, oh my gosh, beautiful. So, but for that one, it's kind of quote unquote easier for me because sometimes in my meditation practice, I'll pull it out and just start reading uh, a practice or you do the bibliomancy where I'll just like flip through it and like, you know, feel when I should read a passage out of it or... Um, or if I heard like a particular Hebrew name or something that like kept coming up recently, I might open that one up and look at it and read through it. But it's quite nice. Came in a smashed uh, box though. It's yeah. Amazon for you. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I can't uh, think of anything else to ask. I think I'm about tapped out. Okay. Well, thank you for preparing all these wonderful questions, honey. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you. Your support means the world to us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to like, comment, and share it with others who might find this content valuable. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay tuned for more enlightening discussions. Your engagement helps us grow, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for being a part of the Casual Temple community.